Welcome to Digital Hospitality. I am your host, Sean Walchef. This is a Cali BBQ Media production. Today we are recording from iHeart Studios, which is very cool for me because this is where our restaurant began our media career, so to speak. We started uh, coming up here back when it was Clear Channel and it was Rock 105.3 and we started doing radio promotions with Mikey, uh, Mikey and the show. And today we have a good friend, somebody that I feel like I've known for a decade, but I guess we've only <laughs> known each other um, for less than a year. Tommy Sablon, the first radio on-air personality producer that is in the Radio Hall of Fame. First and only. First, first and, only, and only. First and only. First and, and only. And radio has been on for a very long time. Radio has been From Bob Hope to Red Buttons and Burns and Allen to, you know, Casey Kasem. The first and only. And I say that with a lot of pride. You should, because even though it's first and only and radio's been around for so long, there's less than 300 individuals in the Radio Hall of Fame. Wow. I didn't know that. Less than 300. I didn't know that. And Howard Stern is included among those. So you're you're in amongst legends. Oh, yeah. And uh, Ryan Seacrest just got uh, indicted. I'm I'm (laughs) indicted. Inducted. I'm assuming Casey Kasem is probably Yeah, he's there. Uh, Rick Dees. You know who's not in there, and I'm kind of surprised and should be because he's my radio hero, Shotgun Tom Kelly. Really? Yeah, Shotgun Tom isn't in. He has a, a, a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, but he's not in the Radio Hall of Fame, which is not right. And so every year I nominate him because when you get inducted into the National Radio Hall of Fame, you get a vote. Nice. To see who you want you know, nominated. And, uh, I always, uh, write up a little letter about shotgun Tom Kelly. Well, it's truly an honor, uh, for you to be here on the show. Digital <laughs> hospitality for us, a barbecue restaurant becoming a media company, is something... which is so cool. <laughs> Thank I mean, you. Thank I, you know, I'm a, I'm in a media company and I don't even have this. <laughs> this is so cool. Well, we have uh, an incredible team, Aaron and Brandon, uh, part of the blue vision team Stover, who's in Portland, our producer and, uh, Kyle who r- runs all of our website. But for us, to be able to cover events from a, pers- a business perspective, the way that we've wanted to cover them mm-hmm. um, is something that's exciting. And it's allowed us to meet radio personalities, media personalities, um, people that also write for the newspaper, um, people like Jim Trotter who work for NFL Network. And for us, it's been something that not only can we share what we're doing, but we can also share that through podcasts, through YouTube, yeah. with other business owners all over the globe. Mm, you're doing it right. I think uh, there's no one that does it better than you. I mean, <laughs> well, you. your That's social huge compliment. Your social media awareness is uh, better than a lot of uh, morning shows, a lot of radio stations that I know of. So, uh, so whatever you're doing, keep doing it. Well, I appreciate that. And a lot of it too is not just about the social media presence, because yes, you have to be on Instagram. Yes, you have to be on Facebook. You have to be on Yelp. And Every the Twitter day, and the and Twitter. Twitter and Twitter, you have to feed the internet, but you also have to own your own content yes. and owning your own content, living within your own website. Those are things that always excite us and allow us to meet people like you. And like I said, we've only known each other for less than a year, but um, just in that short amount of time, we've developed a friendship yes. and I've got to watch you work. Oh yeah. And, you know, working at KUSI and what you do to produce the weekend show there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very impressive. I mean, ha- how, how has your transition from radio also to television? been? Well, yes, I do both radio and television. Um, 
and it's it's the same. It's one and the same. For some reason, they asked me to be part of KUSI's team to get better guests and uh, help. <laughs> for produce. some reason, for your yeah, Hall of Fame reason. <laughs> no, but but the reason why is because I've been in San Diego all my life. Uh, I was on a morning radio show for just about 30 years with the Jeff and Jerry show. You know, we we made it into the Hall of Fame, yes, but it has also given me the wisdom and the relationships um, to be able to book guests pretty, pretty. Uh, not, I don't want to say the word easily, but uh, just I can do it. I do it well. And it's because of relationships. Now, to be a successful business, it is about relationships. Uh, just like you, you, you're a successful, you know, barbecue place, Cali Comfort Barbecue. You're successful, you know, yes, because of your food's great, but you're also successful because of relationships. And for any business, for any company, it you can be a success if you just build those relationships. I, I truly mean that. And uh, and because I did for so long. Uh, that's why I, I book, you know, pretty good guests at, uh, at KUSI. Well, it's not only the phenomenal guests, but I, I love to hear the backstory to uh, little Tommy and kind of, uh-huh. because everybody has that jumping off the cliff where they find their passion and what they want to yeah. do in life. And I know you have a unique story of how you got into radio. Yeah, I was, uh, you know, I, I graduated high school, 1982 high school was the best six years of my life. And, Six um, years? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, but I graduated uh, June 1982, and somewhere right before graduation, I was ditching school. I had a guitar in one hand and Caroline Silva, this girl that I was seeing, in the other. And we were ditching school, you know, 11.30 a.m., and as we were leaving, you know, campus, my counselor, Charles Dappert, said, hey, Tommy, instead of, you know, influencing Caroline to do, you know— something bad and ditch school and since you like good music since you have a guitar why don't you go into the career day in the auditorium right now and listen to a guy named jonathan lang talk about radio he goes don't ditch school don't ditch school you're not in trouble but go listen to him since uh since you like music so i went in there and jonathan lang from kbs 95 was presenting a career in radio and he had a trivia contest about music from you know beatles and rolling stones and so I knew the answers before he finished the question. And because of that, he got a kick out of me and he invited me to the radio station the very next day. And, you know, I, I grew up born and raised in Chula Vista, raised by a single mom. So from Chula Vista to Claremont Mesa Boulevard was like going to Disneyland. It was like, well, I've never been up this way. I mean, I was just a you know a poor kid from Chula Vista. But my mom, I remember my mom drove me in a 1977 Ford Maverick and uh, in and took me to the radio station. I got a tour, and I've been there ever since. That's and, incredible. And uh, and I didn't realize this until decades later, because I was raised by you know single mom, and you know we weren't rich. That Charles Dappert, my counselor, and Jonathan Lang, they gave a kid a break. They gave a kid a break uh, to to have a. A job opportunity, because back then in the in 1982, you know, today 2019, kindergartners raise their hand. I'm going to go to college. <laughs> we teach kids today. Hey, go to college. Go to college. Go to college. Back then, where I'm from, it was just finish high school, mm-hmm. finish high school, and go get a job, or get a job during high school. 
and maybe even quit school. I mean, that's what our mind was thinking. And so uh, Charles Dapper and Jonathan Lane gave me a break. And I didn't know that until years later until I thought about life and said, you know what? Those guys gave a, a poor little kid a break. And I, uh, and I, uh, and I mentioned that story, you know, in, in every speech I do. Yeah. I yeah. think, uh, I think that's very important. And a, a lot of children grow up without father figures. Oh, yeah. um, my father, I never met him. Um, when I was six months old, I was actually fortunate, um, the way that my life turned out that my grandfather uh, told my mom to move back from Colorado to San Diego so she could, mm -hmm. uh, so he could help raise me. And you know, it was the greatest gift I could ever have gotten because he became my father. Yes, he raised me in a life of privilege in La Jolla. Um, wow. afforded me to be able to go to schools like Bishops and University of San Diego. But Dang. Um, for me, not having that father figure is something that I know is very difficult. And I know you had, you know, especially as a single, you know, you talk about your mom being yeah. struggling and having brothers also. Oh yeah, I, um, I was raised by a single mom. Her name was Rosa. She's in heaven now. Um, but as I was a kid, you know, I had two brothers, older brothers who were heroin addicts. And, you know, I don't know why uh, they did it around me. You know, it was the seventies and I, I've seen it all. I've seen everything, uh, you can imagine that you see in movies. My brothers were junkies, but I loved them and they were good people. That's why today, you know, um, in middle to upper class neighborhoods, Rancho Penasquitos, uh, Rancho Bernardo, Poway, Rancho Santa Fe, all those areas, there's people, um, well-to-do families that have a kid that's uh, strung out by way of prescription drugs, by way of Oxycontin, and then those kids saying, hey, wait, I can get heroin. It does the same thing, and it's a little cheaper. And so all these kids uh, are getting addicted to heroin, and they don't even know what heroin is and does. It gets your soul. When I was a kid growing up, we knew, okay, we can party. We can, get, we can smoke a joint. We can maybe snort that line of Coke. But um, don't touch heroin. We grew up saying, don't touch heroin. That's bad. That's bad. And if you do, you're going to get your soul taken away. And my brothers got their soul taken away. I'm so sorry that that happened, but I also appreciate your willingness to share that. Oh, yeah. I know no, that's something that's very, very deep for you oh, yeah, emotionally. I, I speak at Juvenile Hall. I, uh, I've done a TED Talk at Donovan Prison where, you know, there were... Uh, Famous, the Menendez brothers were there. I mean, Sirhan, Sirhan. Um, a couple of years ago, I was at Donovan Prison and uh, and I did a, a TED Talk on this. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it is what it is. I mean, I wish, uh, but my brothers, they were good. And that's the, that's the one story I tell. Yes, my brothers were heroin addicts and they got strung out on heroin, but they were good people. And that's, the message I tell, and that's why I'm believed when I talk to kids at juvie or families that, you know, I've been there and I've seen it and your son that may be in trouble or your daughter that may be strung out on heroin right now, they're still good people. And it's not their fault that that addiction from heroin, from that uh, opiate got to their soul. I don't know if you know this, but even uh, pharmacies, pharmacy robberies, They've gone up in, mm -hmm. in areas like Rancho Bernardo. They've gone up in areas like, 
you know, Rancho Penasquitos and Poway, and it's not hoodlum crooks, you know, bad guys that wanted to just get it's 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 it's, it's these middle to upper class kids that need it, and so they break into pharmacies, and that's that's why the rise of uh, pharmacy robberies are are happening. How do you think you were able to avoid the with your big brothers, you know, your idols? How were you able to avoid? going down their path well I, I i through the years as i was being mad at my brothers for being heroin addicts and you know not working and just making my mom sad as as i was so upset about them doing heroin i was snorting crystal snorting cocaine and uh doing that but i in my mind at that time it was okay because in the 70s and 80s it was kind of accepted and so i was the white sheep of the family as I'm yelling at my brothers, but doing cocaine. And it was, I was a hypocrite, but I didn't know it because mm-hmm. it was society and stuff. So, uh, you know, I've never done heroin, but I know all about it. But yes, uh, I'm no saint. And, uh, and I grew up in the seventies, grew up in the eighties. I thought I was a rock star and I thought I, uh, my idol was Eddie Van Halen. So whatever Eddie Van Halen did, <laughs> I did. And he was into Jack Daniels and into cocaine and, and so was I. And but uh I'm twelve years clean. Uh I, I didn't have any uh they call it low it's called a low bottom. Um I didn't bottom out and, you know, go to jail or anything, but I did bottom out by just realizing, hey, you know what, Tommy, you have two kids and you know, from time to time you're snorting coke. You may want to quit. And so I did. So uh, I don't. I debate with myself if I was addicted or not. But I remember uh, someone at McAllister Institute asked me. They go, "Hey, when's the first time you did a line of cocaine?" And I said, uh, "I was 14." They go, "How old are you now?" At the time, I was like, you know, 42 or so. And they said, "Well, <laughs> there's your answer." Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't do it every day, but I did it uh, every year. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but I don't anymore. And. Uh, sobriety is a is a great thing if you want it i appreciate that because i think it's one of the things that's always very difficult for people to share and people to talk about and i know myself being an alcoholic bar owner that's been in recovery for over seven years i've been sober yeah. for seven years and um i wouldn't have been able to make those steps if it wasn't for my uncle who was mm-hmm. um, an alcoholic but he found AA and he found a program Mm -hmm. that worked for him, but he never pushed it upon us, even though we have, my brothers are alcoholics, my cousins. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's alcoholism that runs deep in our family and he just lived his life and his life got better. Mm -hmm. And by me watching him from the outside, I knew that I had to change if I was going to continue to run our barbecue restaurant and sports bar. Uh And um, I really appreciate you for taking, taking the the courage to share that, not just with, you know, when you go and give those Mm -hmm. Ted talks, but also with, you know, our listeners as well. And my brother Ray, my brother Ray um, passed away March 18th, 2004. Yes, he was a lifelong heroin addict, but he did get clean those last, you know, three or four years and uh, maybe even longer last seven years. He got clean from 1997 to 2004. My brother was back, and and I and I had my big brother back. He stopped using. It's a miracle because they say you know, once you're on heroin, you can't get off. It's like you may have heard the term "monkey on your back." 
with heroin, you have Godzilla on your back. Wow. And, um, and my brothers did. And for so long, I thought it was impossible for Ray or Frank to get clean, but Ray got clean at the end. But it took the death of Frank, who passed away December 5th, 1997, for uh, Ray to get clean. And he felt guilty about Frank dying. And uh, Frank was trying to get clean, uh, but uh, he passed away. And then that changed Ray's life. And, you know, Ray was an inspiration to many. He got a lot of people off. But uh, as I think back to that day on March 18th, 2004, when they said, hey, Tommy, your brother's sick. You need to go to the hospital. I remember uh, going to the hospital. And I remember there was my brother in the bed. We're all surrounding him. And I said to myself, please don't go. Please don't go. And I, and I didn't want to hear that sound, you know, the straight, I didn't want to see that straight line in the monitor. And, and I was just telling him to please hold on, please hold on. And I was praying just, you know, I love you, Ray, don't go. And then I heard that sound, that sound that you see in the movies, that sound that you hear. And I looked up and I saw the, uh, the monitor and it was a straight line and my brother was gone. But the beautiful part of that, the beautiful part is when I walked out of the hospital room, there was a long line of people from the, from the hospital room to the exit. And it was a long line of people that Ray helped get clean. They were there to uh, try to, uh, you know, not let Ray die, but Ray died. And when I walked out, I remember seeing all those people. There's people I even grew up with that I didn't know. My brother Ray knew from, you know, Bobby and then, you know, seeing their faces and they were the faces that Ray uh, believed in and they believed in Ray. So it was a beautiful thing when Ray passed away because I saw love and, you know, Ray's body gave out, but uh, he has given me words and wisdom. I've never read any books about heroin. I've never read any books about addiction, but I've lived it. And when I talk, people believe me because uh, they say I, uh, I'm believable and can speak from the heart because I uh, lived it. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that. I can't imagine the kind of feelings that you had back. It was 1997 you lost your first brother? Frank, yes. And then 2004, 2004. was the second. And yeah. that's really when Jeff and Jer or started. Taken off. Taken off. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, a you huge, know. Phenomenal number one show success. Yeah, I mean, I you know, not to make light of it, but uh, March 18th, 2004, when Ray passed away, the biggest thing in the world was William Hung. And the reason why I know that, the reason why I know that is because when Ray passed away, you know, I hugged him and that all that was happening. Um, I got a phone call because we were bringing William Hung <laughs> Uh, to the to North County Far North County Fair, and uh, we brought him in, and and it was a huge deal at North County Fair when William Hung arrived. When you see footage of William Hung arriving on March eighteenth, two thousand four, at North County Fair, it was like the Beatles. It, it was like the Beatles footage you see from nineteen sixty four arriving at JFK. That's what it was with William Hung on that day. March 18th, 2004, the biggest thing in the world was William Hung. 
And I'll always remember that. Well, I think it's kind of incredible, too, when you're talking about a number one show that was number one on multiple radio stations, which is, you know, unprecedented. It yeah. yeah. doesn't happen in, in the no. same market. But you guys were able to capture a cultural phenomenon, but connect in ways with listeners that hadn't really been done in San Diego. Can you tell about, like, what was the secret sauce to, our that, listeners, to that team? The reason why the Jeff and Jerry show was so successful was our relationship with listeners, everything we are known for, everything uh, you know, people think of us for, it was listener related. From Becky's house, a shelter for domestic violence, to all the human flags we did, 1991 for Persian Gulf, 9/11 uh, uh, we did a human flag. The Chargers going to the Super Bowl in '95. All those events that we did when we raised a million dollars for the fire victims. You raised a million dollars in one day. In a couple, in three hours. In, in three hours, in three yeah. hours yeah. one million dollars. I mean, that for is the Red Cross. unbelievable. Yeah, for the Red Cross during a morning show. That is absolutely yeah. incredible. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and, and, th and that's just, that's one of so many different things and yeah. impacts that you guys were able to make as a show. Uh, you know, when we raised that million dollars that one day, I'll always remember we were at the sports arena parking lot and people were, giving us money and for those fire victims and and there was this one dude that pulled up on a, in a bicycle and he had a, a bag a, a paper sack and he he looked homeless um, and we did verify that he actually was homeless and he came up to us he came up to a woman named Jeanette and said hey in this bag I have eighty thousand dollars and it was this no this homeless dude had eighty thousand dollars in a bag that he won at a at a Indian casino, and they said, "Tommy, can you come here to see this?" And so the dude wanted to give eighty thousand dollars to us. So what we did was we called the casino to verify it, and it was true. And we actually called the police to say, "Hey." Should we take this? You know, what, what do we do? <laughs> what are the rules here? Yeah, or, or what do we do? This 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 homeless guy, you know, they then they verified that he was of sound mind, and he didn't want the money. Wow. He didn't want a new place. He was happy where he was in life, and so you know that eighty thousand was donated, and uh, and I I, I gave seventy five thousand to the cause. No, just kidding. It was, uh, <laughs> it was we we gave eighty thousand from a homeless dude. From a homeless dude, unbelievable. And but we verified it, and uh, and made sure he was of sound mind to do it, and he and he did it. What what was that secret sauce though to the show to keeping a successful show throughout multiple different stations? Mm -hmm. <sighs> the, I think it's a connection to the listeners and reinventing yourself. You know the the way we started on May third, nineteen eighty eight. It was Jeff and Jer, a woman named Ashley Gardner, Hank Bauer on sports. And I was producing, and it wasn't—I wasn't even talking on the air. Uh, and then, and then, it morphed into me talking more. And then Ashley and Hank kind of left the show, so it became uh, the core was Jeff and Jerry and myself for for a while. And then we uh, had L Laura Kane. Then we added Randy Hogue, and then Emily. And so we just evolved through the years, and just. Uh, and just uh, kept that connection, but the it, was there a secret sauce? You know, honestly, <laughs> I think it was. Uh, they had a really good producer, <laughs> and uh, and and you know what? We I got lucky. You know, a lot of I got a hold of everyone that was in the news, everyone from Johnny Carson's last day to Jay Leno's last day to 
George Burns to Jerry Lewis, Heidi Fleiss. When something was huge in the news, for some reason, I was really good. Even before the internet, I was really good at knowing how to find someone. And, uh, and I got a lot of people tell you no. Oh yeah. Yeah. But no means keep trying. (laughs) And and I'm not kidding. I tell kids, I tell kids that are coming up in radio, when you hear no, that just means other than a woman, other than a person saying no, no means no for that. But if you're trying to do business with someone or trying to get a, an interview and someone says no, um, that just means go in again and ask a different way. But it's my opinion, no matter who you're asking, even if you're asking like Jennifer Aniston to come in and Tom Hanks, all those, you know, A-list celebrities, they'll do it if they like you. They got to like you. And I get a lot of people that say, yeah, but you're in San Diego. They want to come in San Diego. You know, I'm in Boise, Idaho. Doesn't matter. If if the publicist or celebrity likes you, they will, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll hook you up. Absolutely. And I know that you found it very important to screen the calls yourself. <laughs> yeah. Why is that? Yeah. You know, a lot of morning shows, uh, <laughs> you know, it's about phone calls. Got to put phone calls on. You got to put listeners on. Why? And because uh, it just. It, it, People like to hear yeah, their voice on the air. No, 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 not that. It's just the type of show we had, we were listener oriented. So we had a lot of phone calls. And a lot of shows in, that were similar to us would have their intern or someone with the least experience go, uh, it was like, a, you know, you're the intern. Okay, go do the phone calls. I always disagreed with that. The most experienced person, uh, the one that understands the show should be screening those phone calls. And, uh, and so that's why I always kept that and, uh, because I, can, I know when someone should go on the air. I also know how to screen them and, and prep them. You know, if you... Larry King uh, used to do a show on CNN and he had the lousiest phone screener or no screener (laughs) at all because when Larry King took a phone call, it would be, you know, hello caller. And the caller would be, hello, hello, can you hear me? Can you hear me, Larry? You know, caller, you know, caller, say something. Hi, can you hear me? He, it happened a lot. Yeah. And it was because I, I assume Larry King didn't have a good phone screener because, um, you got to take away the good mornings and you get right to the point, you know, you know, when you're, you know, this is Sean, who's on the phone. The person should boom, go right into the point instead of saying, hi, Sean, how are you? You, know, <laughs> you don't need to say, hi, Sean, how are you? Correct. You know, Hey, good morning. Good morning. That's, that's a waste of seconds. So, uh, I, I try to screen a call to get right to the point. So I would love to talk about charity. Okay. Charity's at the heart of um, who little Tommy is and who Tommy Sablon is. And I was so fortunate that our team here um, with Cali Barbecue Media, we were invited this year to participate in Breaking and Entering. Um, December 2nd, 2019. This was our, what, your 23rd? Yeah, 23rd, 23rd. 1996. 24th one. 24th. Because you count 96. Correct. 24th. But the 23rd year. 24th, um, Breaking and Entering. Yeah. How, how did this Breaking and Entering... Well. Explain, explain to the people that don't know. Um, we will put the behind-the-scenes episode uh, on our YouTube page. Breaking and um, Entering Christmas is about helping families in need. It's that, you know, uh, find a family and, and help them. But how Breaking and Entering Christmas happened was it was Christmas in 96, and we get a phone call. I'm screening calls. We get a phone call from a single dad with two little girls that said, hey, I just lost my job. Um, 
I'm not looking for any handouts, but I just need a job interview. I'm really good. I'm a construction worker and I need a job to give my kids a Christmas. And so he was well loved on the air. And so um, our listeners called in and said, hey, you know, I got a job in a job for him. You know, how about this place, this place? So he had a list of job interviews to go to that morning. And so when he left, I figured out that he lived nearby. And so when he was out of the house, I went to a nearby Kmart at the time. I got a tree. I got groceries. I got Barbie dolls for the girls. I got bikes for the girls um, and a bunch of other stuff. And I truly at that moment, at that one, at that year, I did break in. How did you and, get his address? Uh, I think maybe uh, as I was preparing him or something, yeah. I got his address. And uh, But uh, I went in, you know, and I was able to go through the window. At the time, I was able to go through a window <laughs> and, uh, and, and, uh, and set up the tree and gave him Christmas. And then when he came back, he actually called me and said, hey, did you guys do this? And I denied it. And that was the premise and the 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 inspiration for the next few years. That's incredible. So how, how, how do you sustain an annual event, an annual giving back campaign? <sighs> well, I think at first it's, it is truly about helping people. There's always people you need to help. So that alone will, will survive. Um, and the next thing is I think it was good radio. Um, and it was real and raw. And, and I think that, that you know mixture uh, has helped us through the years, and what the cool thing is that we just do one on the air, but we help out like thirty or forty families off the air. But the other cool thing is that there's uh, different morning shows across the country: Dallas, Detroit, Charlotte, North Carolina, Charlottesville, uh, San Luis Obispo, um, so many other shows. Um, around t- around the country are doing breaking and entering Christmas. So, so so tell me, so now, I mean, it started with Jeff and Jer, and then now you're with 94.1, you partner with Jesse and Tati, yeah. but you've also incorporated KUSI. So yeah. you have the power of radio and the power of television, which is yeah. phenomenal. Yeah, and, and social media on top of that. Yeah, and they, uh, they both embrace it. KUSI has been very good to me with breaking and entering Christmas. I work at iHeart. I'm on the radio with Co. Lewis on KGB. But for breaking and entering Christmas, they said, hey, you know what? Maybe it's a better fit on Star 94.1. And it, it's worked. We've done it twice there. And, uh, and, and I'm happy. I'm happy. And, and bringing in partners, people like Jerome's, people like you, uh, like us, like the um, Victor Lopez and his family yeah. from El Pollo Grill. It, I mean, yeah. They've been doing it for so long. And they're the one, they're one of the people that uh, take letters off the air. The ones that we don't help, and they help them, them themselves. And uh, uh, we got a lot of people that do that. Steve Finley, you know that Steve Finley from sure. the Padres. Padres. Uh, he helps out about five families every year. Countywide Mortgage, um, you know Victor Lopez and his family. Uh, that's the net. That's the final phase of breaking, entering Christmas. The one we do on the air, and then immediately after that, that's when people call and say, "Hey, can I get a letter? Can I get a letter?" And uh, and that's a that's a cool thing. What kind of legacy do you want to leave? <laughs> kind of legacy do I want to leave? I just want my, uh, uh, I just want to, I just, I, I want my kids to carry on breaking and entering Christmas. I want uh, my kids uh, and granddaughter to understand the things that I have been involved with and got lucky to be involved with from Becky's house uh, to, you know, breaking and entering Christmas to talking to kids. Um, 
and I think uh, my kids will uh, carry on. And how do you see the media landscape changing, not just in San Diego, uh, but globally? Uh, uh, media, radio, and television is bigger than ever. A lot of people always say, hey, Tommy, uh, you're still on radio? You know, I listen to Sirius. Well, Sirius is radio, and radio is bigger than ever. It just looks different. When I was a kid, you know, Probably not when you're a kid. I'm way older than you. But when I was a, way older, but. when I was a kid, radio was what you listened to in the in their car. And when you woke up, there was a little thing next to your bed, and you would listen there. Then you would go in the living room. There was a stereo. You would listen to the radio there. That's the past. Radio is this now. I mean, radio is what you're doing. Social media, radio, the definition just is is just different. The definition of radio is this thing right here. We can listen to any radio station, any podcast right here. We can watch any right television. Smartphone. We can watch any television station. We can make a podcast. We can make a film. We can make a documentary from this thing. So this is just the new look of radio and television and social media. Now, people that are my age that are coming up that, that have been around for a while, they just need to realize that. And uh, the people that don't, dinosaur out and there's a lot of shows that great shows that have dinosaured out and uh and luckily uh i'm not one of them <laughs> well i mean i couldn't agree with you more that audio storytelling not only is it not dead but it's going to be bigger than it ever yeah, will be. yeah um, and like podcast like this this is this is radio this is television what you're doing right now is is the is the now it's not the future it's the now um and it's just a wonderful thing. It's about reach, who you're reaching, and how many people you're reaching. Did you have any mentors that helped you along the way, along your path? You know, of course, you know, Jeff and Jer, um, you know, Shotgun Tom, um, you know, Gary Finelli at Frank Motors, um, you know, just, you know, Frank Fernaka, who started Frank Motors, just his... Uh, history and giving back and stuff uh, helped me. And, you know, I have mentors from my first Pop Warner coach when I was eight years old to a lot of people. I mean, you know, there's a lot of people I, I look up to. And I think, you know, for, for me from the outside, seeing somebody that's as connected as you are, you know, back to relationships. I yeah. Think relationships. Um, you know, we had Ernie Hahn on the podcast who he's – adamant in his belief in relationships and well, that's how he was able to pull off the the wonderfront festival this year which uh, you know we can't wait until next year to see you know how that grows but watching you at the news station but also specifically you know at the breaking and entering to see so many people that continue year after year to want to come back and make an uh -huh. impact um you know, to watch the mother come with her son, oh, yeah. her son who wrote this heartbreaking letter that you read on air, um, you know, here in the iHeart lot, the back lot, you mm -hmm. know, with Jesse, and then you brought Tati mm -hmm. and KUSI's there covering it. I mean, it's just, that's, that's emotional, but it's impactful. I, I, you know, I guess you'd say I got lucky or it's a beautiful thing. It's, it's, it's the spirit of the holidays. And it's the spirit of San Diego, and uh, I, I sometimes I, I I trip out when I look around and see that. You know, the night before we did Breaking and Entering Christmas, um, I couldn't sleep, and I just remember thinking, God, will anyone show up? 
and uh and people showed up and it was and it's so cool because you just you never know and uh and so it's a it's a well-oiled machine and i'm very grateful to everyone including you that that say yes that come out when some when it's something's needed and uh i got a lot of friends that do that and and in in this in san diego i mean it's a cool thing well, we can't wait for people to uh, check out that YouTube um, episode specifically for this year's Breaking and Entering. Uh, it'll be on our Cali Barbecue Media uh, YouTube page. But Tommy Sablon, Mr. Hall of Fame, Mr. Radio <laughs> Hall of Fame himself, uh, uh, we are so grateful to have someone like you that for your leadership that you do in San Diego, for how you connect the dots with uh, radio, with TV, but more importantly, how you impact lives. Um, you know, to watch that mother... I mean, she almost fell down on on her knees when uh, when one of those sponsors said that they had tickets for Disneyland because uh, her daughter had just asked for that for her birthday and she couldn't afford that. And not only did they have tickets for Disneyland, but they had cash and they had you know access to a new home and, and food from Cali Comfort and food and gifts. So many gifts that they, I mean, they they have to sleep on those boxes, which was just such a beautiful thing. Yeah, and uh, you know, I did follow up with them, and they're doing great. And you know, they're still in shock, and they're having a great holiday and they are going through the process of, you know, I gave them an envelope full of phone numbers to help them get out of that situation. And, uh, and it's looking like they're doing a lot of that stuff and, uh, hopefully they will be in a, in a wonderful home. Well, we, uh, we can't wait to see what you do next and whatever you need, you know, um, we're always going to be there for you. And I know, uh, so will the rest of San Diego and anyone else that listens. Um, you, you guys always have a, a friend in little Tommy. I know that. Love you. Love you guys. Thank you. Woo. All right. All right, my friend.